God can do far above and beyond what we can dream of. And tonight's reading that, that Kirsten read for us from Acts chapter 9 and a little bit of chapter 8 is testimony to that, that God is actually at work doing the impossible. It's his comfortable ground. That's his nature. He actually is the God of the impossible. And he will do what he will do, regardless of what you or I think might be logical or reasonable or practical or deserving. He will do what he will do. We looked last week, actually we didn't have a message from, from Acts last week, did we? We had Reverend Phil come and share, which was really great. It was different. A bit fresh to have a different voice in the room, isn't it? I enjoyed it. I'm just listening and going, wow, this is great. I've heard a sermon for ages. <laughs> um, but the week before that, we were looking at Philip. And he was an evangelist. And we looked at how he reached the masses in Samaria. And then he was called by the Lord to go just to the one, that Ethiopian eunuch on the road to uh, outside of Jerusalem towards uh, Africa. And then the week before that, we looked at Stephen, who was, um, who was preaching, and he ended up, you know, not very successfully preaching because he died at the end of his sermon. Don't get any ideas tonight. That, that was about how God can just use one person to make a difference. And the end of that message, we looked at Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, where it says that Saul was there as one of the witnesses giving approval. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, because they thought Stephen was being blasphemous against God. And that's Saul. And after, after, after Saul gave agreement the killing of Stephen, we're told in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Bringing us back to the, to the message that Jesus shared to the disciples that night, that night, maybe it was daytime, in Acts chapter 1, where he says to them, wait in Jerusalem and power will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. And so Jesus's words are coming true. What do you know? <laughs> Jesus isn't a liar. And so his words are coming true and he's, and he's using people that aren't apostles, that aren't professionally, you know, that, that weren't witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. That's the technical term that um, some people use for an apostle. Um, a sent one is technically the real term, because that's what the, the word apostle means. Apostolos means sent, someone sent, sent on a mission. Um, funny fact, nothing to do with tonight's sermon, but do you know who the first person was to witness the resurrected Jesus? Mary. No mention of her being an apostle, right? But um, anyway, I like that because God, you know, we, we think we can put God in a box and measure him and tell people about him, and then he does something outside of that box. Speaking of which, tonight's message is about that. But I want to talk to you tonight about conversion, and Saul being the example of that. Conversion. See, Saul had a mission. Saul had a mission, and his mission was to destroy followers of Jesus, to stop the spread of this, this, uh, this message that was getting out called the gospel. He wanted to stop people from hearing this message 
and in fact, he just wanted to kill or chain up or lock up anyone that approved of this message or followed Jesus. And he, um, he did quite a good job. He was very, very good at his job. And he actually got letters, we're told in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that he, he uh, let's have a look at it, actually. After the story of Philip, we're told, comes into Acts chapter 1 now, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 now, where it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats or breathing out threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers or any disciples. So he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, which is north of Jerusalem, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of many or any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. What had happened is the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem had formed believers and then the persecution of those believers had forced those believers to further go out into the surrounding countrysides. And Damascus was even a place that they would go, which is amazing because Damascus was an extremely Jewish place. It had like 39 or 40 actual synagogues in the place. And so that's a big, that's a big Jewish turnout in a town. And it reminds you of this picture in, gar- in, in my garden. I don't know, you guys would have these things in your garden too. And I hate them. But they're, um, I think they're called dandelions. Yeah. And you know, like as a kid, you love them because you, you see these little puffs of, you know, fairy floss or whatever they look like, and you pick them up and you, you blow on them. And what, what happens next? All these little seeds go everywhere. And the kids love it. And all the gardeners are nearby going, oh, don't do that. Why? Because it spreads it everywhere. I've learned not to whippersnip the dandelions in my garden when they grow up. I pick them. I've actually taught my dog to do this as well somehow because I've gone around and I've picked up all the little fluffy dandelion bits, put them in the bin and the green waste bin. And now I notice Nala actually going around eating the tops of the... So I don't know if that's good. Maybe it's coming out in a poo and doing a better job. I'm not sure. But this is the picture I get of Saul. He's actually on a rampage to try and destroy the spread of this message, all the while making it spread even further, like those seeds of a dandelion. Actually, on our website, you'll notice if you went, went to a, go to our website, hopeforwesleyan.org.au, you'll see on the front screen, a picture of a dandelion. And it's that picture of, I guess there's, there's the seeds there. And, you know, Jesus talked about seed being the word of God in, in a lot of illustrations. And so the word's being spread continually, regardless of how threatening Saul might be, because the word of God is powerful. In fact, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So anyway, he went Saul, regardless of this, he, he had a mission. He had a mission to kill all of these disciples of Jesus. And his mission, he thought, was from God. Saul's mission, he thought he was doing a favor to the creator because this sect was growing. This sect, you know, this, this, this sect of Jesus from Nazareth was, a, was, was not was not of God. That's what he he thought he was actually doing God a favor. He thought he didn't need salvation in Jesus. He thought that his life was fine how it was. And in fact, he thought, yeah, what he was doing 
dragging men and women out of their homes and chaining them up and sending them to prison for following Jesus. He thought he was doing God a favor. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how someone could live their life thinking that they're okay with God and all the while being totally rebellious to his ways? Hands up if that was you one day. Come on. The Bible tells us that while we were still enemies, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And that's the first part of conversion. The first part of conversion is recognizing what mission you're on and that it's not God's mission, that you're actually going the wrong way. Um, there's, a, there's a story of Peter actually, with Jesus. And Peter followed Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus, this guy called Peter. Have you heard of him? And he, and he was sort of like the leader of the disciples, the 12 disciples. And Peter um, comes up to Jesus uh, in Luke 22. I'll just read it for you. Actually, Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus comes up to Peter and he says to him, calling him Simon, Simon, because his name is Simon, but it's also Peter. So, yeah. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I think that's a really beautiful story because it shows me that there's, 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 there's following Jesus and then there's another level. You see, what we see in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at Pentecost, what we see is, is a Peter that is ready to strengthen his brethren, to strengthen his brothers, the, the Jews. Because Peter is a Jew. Peter's grown up in the Jewish in a Jewish family, he knows the Old Testament. He would have been about 11 or 12 and memorized most of the Old Testament, like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He would know stuff, all right? Often we kind of look at Peter and think, oh, he doesn't know anything until he meets Jesus. That's not true. He is very well learned in, the, um, in, in Jewish customs and culture and, and, uh, and the scriptures. And, but he has got foot and mouth disease, and he and he is the risk taker out of all of them. And I think that you know people maybe he had ADHD. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. But it says here that Simon that, that Jesus says to him, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Not that you wouldn't be sifted. Not that you wouldn't find temptations. Not that, not that struggles won't come. Jesus not praying that, that the problems go away. Jesus is not praying that Satan goes away. Jesus is not praying that the bad times go away. He's praying that Peter's faith doesn't fail. So does Peter fail after Jesus says this to him? Yes. But his faith is the most important thing. Okay, and so, but he says to him after this, he says, so, so when you have repented and turned to me again, this word is the word converted. Okay, when you have, when you have converted. In other words, Peter is going this one way. This is like 
mentally and um, you know, mentally, basically, it's a change of thought. And then he turns this other way, and that's being that's repenting. It's basically a change of thought and behavior, um, which which brings a change of attitude and action, in a sense. So repentance is is that kind of converting thing. And it wasn't until Peter messed up and realized that his mission wasn't actually the mission that God wanted him to be on. You see, Peter came to Jesus one time and said, you're not going to die on a cross. You're not going to do this. And then what, and Jesus, Jesus rebukes him there and then and says, you're going to deny me? Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows? In fact, he goes on in Luke's gospel to say that to him. This is what's going to happen. You're going to actually mess up and fail. Why? Why? Because God knows exactly what Peter needs to get Peter to the place where he's on his knees and saying, okay, not my thoughts, but your thoughts, not my words, but your words, not my will, but your will. And so we see Peter in Acts chapter two as, as, as this malleable clay that God can go, all right, let's make 3000 new believers in one day. And that's what he does through Peter because he converted, he changed his, his life was flipped upside down. He was following Jesus. He turned up. He listened to Jesus and he received from Jesus. But there comes a time, I think, in every believer's life where we, where, we, where we quit receiving from Jesus and start giving for Jesus and, and ministering for Jesus um, from his strength, obviously, in us. Um, that's another sermon altogether. Let's get back to Acts chapter 9 and Saul. See, Saul's on a mission. We see the first um, couple of verses there. What have I got? Verses um, one to two. Yeah, first couple of verses. He's on a mission. He's on a mission. He thinks it's God's mission. He thinks he's going the right way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus interrupts. Verse three, verses three to seven. Um, Paul is on his way where? Anyone know the town? Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus. And Damascus for, for Paul's mission is a place where he's going to arrest people. He's going to lay hands on people and he's going to take them and put them in chains. That's Paul's mission. And then Jesus interrupts that. Jesus interrupts. Have a look at verse three to six. As he was, I'm New Living Translation, sorry. Tonight, tonight, not sorry. Thank you. New Living Translation. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Wow. How amazing is that? A light. This is noonday, by the way. This is noonday. This is um, Saul actually gives a testimony. Do you know what a testimony is? It's basically a story about how you met Jesus or how he met you, all right, and how he changed your life. And, and Peter shares a testimony in front of a king in Acts chapter 22. I just want to read, read it to you. King Agrippa and in Acts chapter 22. And verse uh, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 26. My apologies. Can we go to Acts chapter 26? He, he does it in Acts chapter 22 as well, but I specifically want to look at Acts chapter 26 before King Agrippa. And verse 12, he's talking to a king, right? He says, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, talking about, you know, persecuting the church, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me, in Aramaic. That's the Hebrew language, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Now, Paul's sharing this story of himself, right? I'm sorry if this is preaching to you tonight, but this actual terminology in Greek that Paul uses, he says, it is, it is useless for you to kick against the goads. Anyone know what a goad is? All right, the King James Version. Don't look it up. It's a bit weird. It's something about kicking against the pricks. Yeah. All right, so a, a cattle, it's a cattle prod, all right, yeah. to direct the, the, the cattle, the cow, bull, steer, whatever they call it, terminology, yeah. towards the right direction that the person wants them to go. And the cattle can be stubborn and kick against that and want to go its own way, want to have its own mission. I want to go to that field over there. I don't want to go up and get milked like you want me to. I'm going over there until eventually it says, okay, I don't, I don't like the feeling around my legs right now because I'm being pricked with this goad. So I will just go the way my owner wants me to go. All right. So this is what Jesus is saying to Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to kick against my will, to fight against my will for you. It's useless. It's useless. I love how Jesus, I love how Jesus meets Saul on the road and he says, he, he doesn't say you're persecuting my church. You're persecuting the people that follow me. He actually, Jesus aligns perfectly with you and I and every other believer because we're the body of Christ. And so, you know, Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats in a positive sense, you know, like these things that you've done, you've, you've to the least of these, you've done it unto me. It, it also works in the negative sense too. And here we have Jesus giving that um, clarity. He's saying to, to Saul, he's saying, you, you're persecuting me. I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the Lord that you're persecuting. Okay. It's useless to kick against my will for your life. I wonder, I wonder what's going through Saul's mind as Jesus is saying those words to him in this amazing encounter on the road to Damascus. I wonder if Saul's memory and his heart, because, you know, Saul was there present when Stephen was preaching. And so Stephen delivered the gospel message and died, forgiving Saul and all the other people that were stoning him, forgiving and so Saul's watched this, this heart response from a person who's following this Jesus guy, thinking, that's strange. And then Saul's gone out knocking on doors, pulling out Christians, chaining them up and putting them in prison. All the while, they're not fighting back. And they're saying things like, we forgive you. Lord, please don't hold this against him. You know, and they're being kind and they're being loving. 
And maybe Saul is just watching this gospel presentation in words and deeds and thinking, nah, that can't be true, until Jesus, the actual word of God, turns up and says, look, you've got to stop this. You've got to stop this. I've got a plan for you. And so he says, I'm Jesus. Now get up and go into the city and uh, you will be told what you must do. So Saul had a mission, which wasn't good. But Jesus interrupts that mission. I don't know if anyone had that in their life before. You, you had a plan of what life should be like. And then God interrupted that plan. And then what we see here in verse 7 to 9, after this amazing encounter, we see Saul recovering. I just want to read it through. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul, Saul picked himself up off the ground. Well, we, nice friends, Saul. Like, no one's saying, Saul, are you okay? Saul, is there anything we can do to help you? Saul, have you hurt? Just, did you get hit by lightning? What just happened then? No one helps him up. He picks himself up off the ground. His friends are speechless. It's just this amazing aura in the whole area, uh, in the whole uh, environment. Aura. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He, re he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So Saul recovers, but he's blind and he's not eating, and he's not drinking. How many people that day saw the light on the road? More than just Saul, right? His companions saw the light, and they heard the noise, and they heard the voice, but they couldn't articulate the sound, the, the words coming from the voice. All right, that's, the, that's that word, that word there in Greek is not rhema, voice it's like a it's like a different other word it starts with p i think and it's just a voice it's just a noise it's like me i have this kind of like auditory processing thing where i can hear i can hear the most minute sound somewhere in the next room but someone could be speaking to me and i can't process what they're saying sorry that drives sonia crazy <laughs> But that, that's the best way I could describe what these other men of Saul, Saul's mates experienced. So they heard the voice, they saw the light, right? But only Saul understood the voice and saw the light. And it's interesting, how many people were blinded by the light for three days? Just one. It's like, yay, Jesus picking on Saul. It's like, you persecute me. Let me, let me teach you a lesson. And in fact, that's what Jesus does in a loving way. Because Saul is the perfect person to choose, obviously, to reach a world in that, in that time that needed the gospel. Now, Saul was like he was a Jew, right? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul, named after King Saul, tribe of Benjamin as well. That's free. And he was also a Pharisee. He knew the law. He believed in angels. He believed in demons. He believed in spirits. He, he knew the Old Testament scriptures, like academically. He knew it all. And he also spoke Greek. He grew up in a Greek town with Greek 
Jewish heritage. His name is Saul and his last name is Paul or Paulus. In fact, sometimes he's called Saul, sometimes he's called Paul. I used to think that this experience that Saul had on the road was a name change experience, like, like Jacob got that hip, you know, the hip wrestling thing that he did and he got name changed to Israel. Or like um, Abraham and Abraham, the name changed, Sarai, Sarah. Like, I thought this was a name change. It's not a name change thing. Just check your Bibles. He actually does, Jesus calls him Saul. <laughs> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in fact, he's called Saul for a little while longer in the book of Acts. And it's not that he gets a name change. He just changes cultural mission and uses his Greek name to reach those people. Paul. So Saul, <coughs> Saul recovers, but he's blind and he's not eating and he's not drinking. I think it's because, now I'm just playing, I'm guessing game here, but I think it's because he thought that he could see. He thought that he understood what God's mission was. He thought that he understood the Old Testament and he did, but he was blind to the person and reality of Jesus as the Messiah. And so when that person of Jesus, the Messiah, came into his eye shot, he was blind for three days. The number three is kind of like this completeness number. That's why the angels are singing holy, holy, holy three times because it's a com he's completely holy. The th three days in the grave, completely dead, rise again. It's a complete number. And so three days, he is blind. So now, so Jesus, I think, is saying, you are completely blind. You have, you have no idea who I am. Also, fasting. He's not eating or drinking for three days. Not eating or drinking for three days is a big deal. Like not eating for three days is a big deal, but not drinking as well for three days. And I believe it's because the word of God, he, he thought he was, he thought he understood the word of God. It was only intellectual. It wasn't a hunger for the truth. And so he's fasting. He's not eating the food of the word. And, and water symbolizes the Holy Spirit. He, he was a man. He was, he was following God, but he was not filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw Stephen preaching. Maybe he realized afterwards that, you know, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. But he wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. So he's lacking the Holy Spirit. He was lacking the true word of God in his, in his heart, in his soft heart. And he was blind to the truth of who Jesus was. And so Jesus, Jesus meets him in his rebellion, on his way to chain people up in Damascus and arrests him on the road. Jesus arrests Paul on the road. And so Paul recovers now with his mates in Damascus. Then Jesus calls someone else. And this is Ananias. This is not Ananias and Sapphira from Acts chapter 4 or 5, wherever that was, the, you know, the non-believing kind of believers that tried to steal money or take money away, or lie about their money. This is a different Ananias. So in verse 10 to 16, we can read about him. He's just a believer in Damascus named Ananias. He must be a brave guy because he's a believer in Damascus. <laughs> he's a believer of Jesus, the, the way in Damascus. And he lived there. 
the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This is a big call. This is a big call for Ananias. Lord, are you, are you sure this is the right thing to do? Have you heard about who this guy is? Like he's putting his life on the line, this man. And he might have had a family. And, you know, he probably, he probably didn't really think that it was a good idea that this Saul should become a Christian. Maybe Ananias thought, you know, Lord, maybe you should call me to like, I don't know, more than one person, multitudes of people. You know, to, to share the gospel with multitudes of people would be awesome. But no. Okay, Lord, maybe not multitudes of people. Maybe just like a couple of people. No. All right, Lord, just one person. But like a nice person. No. Seems like Jesus has another plan. Jesus wants to use Ananias to go and show the love of God to a person who doesn't deserve it. In fact, who seems to hate Ananias and anyone like Ananias. So if you see the picture, the, the progression here, Saul's on a mission to Damascus. Jesus interrupts that mission. Jesus now calls Ananias in Damascus. Ananias bravely obeys. And then we see from verse 17 down to 21, the real mission. Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, I love that, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up, grabbed a knife and killed everyone. No, that's not what happened. It's amazing. God's been working in his heart. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. No doubt they had little Bible studies. No doubt Saul was like teaching them some things about the Messiah from the Old Testament. And they were thinking, wow, we can learn from this guy. Because now it all came, pieces all came together for Saul. You see, he had, he had such a knowledge of the Old Testament, the missing piece was who the Messiah was. And when, when he met Jesus, it just fit into place and he found purpose and meaning in life. He realized that Jesus really was the Messiah. And from that vantage point, from Jesus, all of the Old Testament makes sense. 
And so he, he spent time with these believers. So what happens to him? He gets baptized. He receives the Holy Spirit. And, and, he, and he stays with them and fellowshipping with them. And no doubt looking at scriptures and talking together about, about Jesus and the, and the gospel and what Jesus did for Saul. And that's the mission. That's the mission to Damascus. He, he was on a mission to Damascus all the while. Jesus was on a mission to Damascus, using Saul to convert himself. I know that blows your mind when you think about it. But Saul was going to Damascus to what? To lay hands on Christians, arrest them, chain them up, take them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. All the while, Jesus has a plan to lay hands on Paul, Saul, through Ananias, because it says, see that? It says Ananias laid his hand, found Saul and laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me to, so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, scales came off. Instantly, the prisoner was free because Jesus arrested him and set him free. And, and it's just a, such a beautiful story about conversion. Because I know myself and you guys included, you know, we all thought we were going the right way. We weren't as bad as we thought we were. You know, no one here murdered anyone, did they? You know, like we're going to heaven because we did more good than bad. And we thought we were following God. We thought we were okay until Jesus interrupted and said, actually, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us are messed up. All of us need a savior. And so this is, this is such a beautiful picture where Jesus enters into the scene and saves Saul. Saul doesn't deserve it. Saul didn't earn it. And Jesus uses this man called Ananias. I don't think we ever hear about Ananias again. And Ananias probably thought to himself, you know what, I only just reached out to this one man. I just laid my hands on this one man and led him to the Lord. That's my story. And that might be your story too. I don't know about you, but there's people in, in my world that are a little bit like Saul, like they've got hard hearts, like you've shared the gospel with them, you've grown them up, you've, you've taught them how, how Jesus loves them, what God's done for them through Jesus, and yet the seed keeps bouncing on like a hard, on a hard heart. That's what it seems like. But Jesus never gives up. Jesus never gave up with Saul. It was a long time before Saul actually surrendered and gave his heart over to Jesus. It's only a couple of chapters for us, but this was a long time. And Jesus never gives up. Also, Jesus never gives up with us. Because sometimes we think like, you know, how many people have you led to the Lord in your life? You know, just think about it. How many, how many people have you led to the Lord in your life? You've introduced them to Jesus and you've discipled them to follow Jesus. And, you know, and, and to be honest, I think we all would struggle with that kind of concept because that's just, I don't know, just how it is. Making disciples and, and preaching the gospel is, is I don't know, it's, we just, I don't know. We do it differently nowadays. And I think sometimes we can feel like we're judging ourselves because we don't measure up to, you know, Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul or, you know, people that reach loads of people. And sometimes we feel like, you know what, I've only just led one person to the Lord. And that's... That's really not that much. But here, Ananias, 
he actually just obeys Jesus and, and does what he's asked to do. And then he just kind of fades off into the background. Meanwhile, God's plan is still going ahead and he's using this guy called Saul, Paul, depending on what country he's working in, I guess, to, um, to reach the people with the gospel. And so here's that picture of the um, dandelions again. Is that message being spread again and again and again? It doesn't matter what happens. You know, over history, we actually see that um, after this persecution here, even, you know, the, even in church history, you see that other, other nations come in and take prisoners of people in the Roman Empire and take them to their foreign lands as prisoners, thinking that they're, you know, taking prisoners. But really what they're doing is aiding the spread of this good news, this gospel message. And the seed has been sown throughout Europe and the Celtic regions and Russia and, and all the way out to the outermost part of the world. Guess who's not a liar? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, um, that's conversion. Are you willing to be converted if you're not already? The conversion of Saul was not on the road. It was in a room in Damascus. And conversion is basically hearing the word of God and obeying, you know, going from your way to his way. Keeping your faith in it all. I think that's a really good message for me. Keep your faith in it all. Jesus is praying for you that your faith would not fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the person that you sent to teach us about Jesus. It might have been a number of people and maybe they thought they were insignificant parts of your story. But Lord, we just thank you so much that you were the one involved in it all and that you can actually take people's plans, even if they're willfully wrong, you can actually take those plans and flip them around for your purposes to be achieved. And we, and we worship you. We worship that God tonight. We worship you. You're the one who is able to do far more than we could ever ask or dream or imagine. In fact, we have no idea what you're able to do, but everything is possible for you. And so, Lord, tonight we, we come to you and we, we pray that you would have your way in us and help us to obey you. Lord, whatever you're calling us to do, we might be not, maybe not reaching the next, you know, persecutor of the church, please, but someone who needs to know you. And so, Lord, help us to be brave like Ananias and help us to trust you, trust you at your word. And Lord, we pray for the gospel to just spread, Lord, in and through us and arounding, around this area, Lord, too, so that people will come to know you and be set free and not be chained up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.